Welcome to this. Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Welcome to This Week in Production. I'm your host, Art Aldridge, and I am in Nome, Alaska, finishing the final moments of the Iditarod Sled Dog Race. Joining me in our city hall control room, I guess, is the best way to describe it, or everything room, activity room maybe, war room. Playroom. Playroom. It's kind of a multi-purpose thing, Mr. Tom Chartran. Hey, good Good morning, Art. Also here, surviving his first Iditarod experience, Mr. Christian Schlicht. Hello, everyone. You sound much better than you did two weeks ago. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> do. And we're gonna we're gonna dive into your experience, but uh, we've, right. we've almost finished. Now, normally we don't get to leave until the last what they call the red lantern, the last musher right. crosses the line, and then there's a big musher banquet that happens usually on Sunday. We're recording this on Friday, so we're in a bit of a special circumstance because we're actually leaving Alaska, hopefully, depending on weather, weather. and flights. We're supposed to be leaving Alaska today right. for home. And that, obviously, everyone knows the circumstances going on, and we're not really getting into that on this podcast. So we're, we're leaving early. It's a little strange for me to do that. Normally, we put the you know, icing on the cake, we, we serve it, we turn the lights off and, you know, we've already the last up. out. Yeah. We usually so, the last out. Right. So this is a little unusual. We've it's had been an un- unusual event anyway, notwithstanding everything going on in the world, weather has been such an influence and mushers and it's just been a crazy week. Yeah. I, the whole, the whole race has had a weird vibe. And again, not just because of the, uh, the COVID virus, but just in general, there's been as you said, weather issues and from, you know, my end, some technology issues. And we'll talk a little bit about what has worked well from the tech side, what hasn't worked sure. well and then experiences. So from your perspective, Tom, yeah, how was the race from, from your vantage point? From my vantage point, it was, it was another year of, of working more closely with the website of the insider and the live cameras. And so Working on some of the early promos to try to bring in subscribers was fun. It was a blast. And then interesting as well, working with, you know, some of the new partnerships, you know, with Norway and trying to coordinate and be part of all that. I think everything went off great. Our live cameras seemed to work really well. That side of the technology held up. We broadcasted live in, in was it 10 or 11 checkpoints with three cameras rather than I think four it was last year. So that part really was interesting to be able to grow that. And it seemed to work pretty flawlessly. Everything was pre-configured and seemed to check in. You know, sometimes we'd have connectivity issues, but it was a really solid, solid week as far as that goes. Right. What What's cool about the the little fly pack units that we have, at least two of the three that we had, are cloud-based right. um, remote control. So I could reach, once you guys got to your checkpoints and plugged in and had data connection, depending on the speed of the line, I could reach through the cloud and adjust the encoders. So that worked really well. We were using the uh, Unity intercoms for the first time. I think for the most part, they worked pretty well. Very well. Yeah, I, I agree. 
I mean, the, we've used FaceTime audio in the past, and it's always a little sketchy um, with connections, and it's like a little delay, and then you got to wait. But I, the Unity seemed pretty good from my vantage point. It was very sprite. I mean, it was instant, you know, like that. And it also seemed like when you were needing to control bandwidth a little bit or get a little bit of a lower bit rate, it was fast. It happened much faster than in the past. I don't know. It just seemed like everything was was a quicker connection and and solidified faster right right and and you know when we're talking about streaming here we're talking about very small pipes out in the middle of the interior of alaska so you right. know if we had you know we might have a burst of two or two and a half megabits but you know that means streaming steadily you know we were talking about a 500 kilobit stream at a 480p resolution and And we were often sharing that that stream too so i think the fastest that we had overall was a 2.8 at one checkpoint but we were sharing uploading of videos with the insider as well as checking the gps with uh, comms they sometimes had to tie in when they didn't have their own setup so and it worked better than ever Right. It, it's funny about the the speed rates that you get out there because it kind of puts in perspective. Like back at my home, I have you know two hundred over a hundred, and then right. you come out here and it's six over three. Right, and that's at max, and that's, and that's normal. Yeah, and that's like that's, that's like that's a good day in Alaska. Yeah, when yeah. you have six over three. And when you see those speed rates out there, you're like, oh wow, okay, I, I, I can hop I on the phone. And I, and I was just thinking about that too because I go, I'm going to go home and I've got five hundred over five hundred on a fiber line. Right. in my house. Yeah. Right, and that's slow when you're there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's actually not. It's, okay. It's pretty good. <laughs> so Christian, how is how is the production from your standpoint? You came into this, you know, your first go around and I don't know how much, you know, you've interfaced with live streaming stuff. So how was your experience on the production side? Yeah, it was um, you know, I kind of just went at it like let's let's see what we can do here. And uh I think my the first checkpoint was McGrath and uh you guys briefed me on the fly packs back at the, the home base in Anchorage. Um and as soon as I got there, the we had the iDirect dishes out there, and it was all set up, ready for me to plug into the modem. And uh, there was it just kind of worked like right away. You know, I had the the connection all set up. I ran my cables, you know, trenched them where I needed to, and um, it was it was pretty flawless my first go about. And then um, you know, that just set the tone for the rest of the trip, and so so on and so forth. There there were some unusual. Um requirements this year because normally we have the cameras up you guys might be in a remote checkpoint for a day sometimes two and the cameras basically step in the past they were just gopros right so we'd kind of put them up and then just let them go and last year you know tom was part of the kind of the experiment of using a camera that is on a tripod that you mm-hmm. can zoom and follow the action and you would be at the camera for Right. mushers coming in so that added a whole nother level and then this year we expanded it but in addition to those extra cameras this year we had this norwegian i don't want to say a co-production because they really had their own plan right but they were using some of our resources in the field and that included doing uh hits uh live hits with our two insider talents greg heister and bruce lee right at 11 p.m. and 7 a.m., which in Norway is like 9 and 5 p.m. So that's their kind of that was morning, their broadcast their, their day. daylight day. Yeah. So that required the two of you on different occasions yep. to man the cameras 
for those broadcasts. And they would normally be, hey, here's a 10-minute update. Right. And then yeah. as the race went on, they were asking for more, more, right. more, more. Now, you guys, there's not a set schedule. Right. Your day is your day. Right. It might be 20 hours. It might be... Your week is your week. Yes. Yeah. So, you sleep when you can on the so, Iditarod so, Trail. So after working for the whole day, you might... And, and you each had... To, I know you had a couple of experiences, Tom, and Christian, you had <laughs> one where you were literally on the camera doing a live hit for two, three, four hours at yeah. one point. Three hours at, at one. And yeah. I was dressed and ready to go. It was actually warm. We had low temperatures and then we had high temperatures of, you know, the 20s. And I had thrown on my Merrells instead of my snow boots. And after the first hour, I'm kind of stomping around in the snow when I can to keep my toes warm. I didn't expect us to be standing out there for three hours, but part of that was they didn't have the staff back in Norway to man the studios. They had to send one of the uh, correspondents home to Sweden because they were closing their borders. So it was really one person, and then Dallas was in Anchorage, and so they really needed the insight of Bruce and Greg for a longer time to, to really generate content. Well, you can say that. I think it was just poor planning. That could very well be, yeah. But but it, it was a requirement that we hadn't necessarily talked about. We weren't prepared necessarily for it. Right. I would have probably suggested that we have more personnel on camera so that not everyone is working 20 hours a day every day. Sure. Because there's a fatigue factor as the race goes on. Absolutely. I mean, you're up whenever there's a musher coming through, and that's something that I don't think people realize is there's no hours. There's no, it's just you're on. You're on demand. When, you're on you're demand. basically on demand pretty much. for 24 hours a day based on the race. And, right. and it's, that's kind of, I guess, known when you sign up for the gig. Right. But it doesn't make it any easier, even if you no. know about it, right? Because you're just sleep deprived. And some from my end, I have to be up to receive these feeds. And even when there was one day I remember because we were planning this 11 o'clock hit uh -huh. and, and I'm an early person and I'm not, I'm good for like a day without sleep, but then like day two without sleep, I start to. Is that why your eyes are all puffy right now? Oh uh, yeah, I'm a mess. <laughs> so there was one evening where we set up, I made sure we had audio and sound, we tested. Yes. And then I started the, you know, the feed and then I went to sleep. And then some, something happened. I don't remember <laughs> what now, but you were calling me. I was out. I was unconscious. Yeah. There was no audio. For some reason, there wasn't, audio wasn't passing yeah, through. something wasn't passing yeah. through the stream, and, and they couldn't reach me. And, and the Norway uh, tech manager was um, two hotel rooms down from yes. me. He was bang apparently banging on the door. Yes. I didn't even hear that. I, and, and the hotel lobby called you, too. You're right. You were out like a light. I was out like a light. So that, that's <laughs> what happens when you work sleep deprived. Absolutely. It's, it's a little scary. But I, you know how I, I compensated for that is I set up the Norwegian producer with control over his own system. Oh. So he could actually feed his own um, devices. They were, we, we're using all cloud-based right. streaming to deliver the pictures today. I did arrive, but the Norwegian broadcast was using hardware encoders to do okay. their side of it. They they're, they have a big facility um, in Norway in Oslo. Oslo, right. The production company is Mavericks with an X. And they are more a 
what I would say a baseband based facility. They don't sure. know IP. They don't seem to know IP as well, or right. they're not set up to deliver video over IP the way we do. Right. So they were using hardware encoders and decoders. So they had these, they had two units. They had live view units mm -hmm. that they rented and they had these Avi West encoder and decoders that they also rented and they had matching decoders in Norway. It's, it's point to point, but it's over cellular or internet. Right. So they were, everything was going back to Norway for them on these encoder decoders and they could take that in this video where we were doing it a little differently. So I was able to set him up after like day three when he realized that, you know, when it's like 11, 30, 12 and I've been up for, you know, right. 18 hours, I need to sleep for Your a few. Your day is not necessarily their day. <laughs> right. So that part of it was a little... Um, but that worked really well. I mean, the intercom they had with talent, they were able to do live on demand, you know, uh, a conversation back and forth between the it studio. It was tricky, though, because when they were taking our feed, there was mm -hmm. a 15 second delay. Right. And there were times as I was watching their studio show that they would literally have a three box, the Oslo's talent, the Anchorage talent, and then you guys in the field. Okay. And they would ask a question in Oslo in a three box. Okay. And then 15 seconds Whoa. would go by and no one is just, everyone is like the Brady Bunch. That exaggerated studio there, delay. <laughs> sitting there, you know, and that was kind of painful. And I said, I said, you know, why don't you guys just sort of tape delay? They've got this abacus, you know, kind of recording sure. system, kind of like, I guess, an EVS uh, that we would use. But um I said, just delay it 15 seconds. And right. It's almost live. And they're like, no, 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 we need it. I go, well, okay. <laughs> There's a 15-second delay between the feed coming back. And, you know, because it's coming from the field. It's going up to my Waza server, server down to the hotel room in Anchorage through their encoder back to Norway. So, And you it know, still worked, though. That's pretty it did, amazing. It did. I mean, the whole thing <laughs> is, is pretty cool. And then the other piece of it that that I was certainly a little concerned about was the fiber optic camera controls and the, the robotics right. in the weather. And we had weather almost in every oh. setup. Um, you know, Anchorage, not so much. That was right. pretty good. But the restart in Willow, as I mentioned on the last podcast, there was heavy snow, wet snow. Wet snow, yeah. And it, was, it wasn't cold, but it, everything was wet. Right. But they, they worked pretty good there, uh, except we had one issue with the one, it seems like one of the camera chain connections, I was not getting video. And I wasn't sure in in right. uh, the restart in Willow why that was. I brought everything up to the finish in Gnome, and I plugged it all in in the in our activity room. Yes. And I tested it. Everything was fine. So I was like, okay. Oh, it resolved itself. It did. And okay. I figured maybe it was the connection wasn't tight because those fiber connections – Need to be really solid. Right. I almost, I brought it a little wrench so I could just torque it a little bit yeah. to make sure it's snug. But when I set up the cameras and put them out there, I still had one camera that was it was getting connectivity on the fiber and on the network, right? But it wasn't getting the the video. It was flickering, and I went out and I changed cables and I tightened it and swapped ports on the dock and still couldn't get it to work. But what's nice about the way that my system is set up is that my cameras can do baseband and NDI. Right. So I could still bring that one camera in on NDI over the network connection, even though the video part wasn't working. 
And did that work? Was there a bit of a delay no, or it's, not really? It's, it's pretty good. The, Great. The other piece that we used here in Nome, so we had, we had a three camera robo show for the finish. And we were trying to use Christian's camera as a wireless streaming camera for handheld because mm-hmm. the handheld obviously has more flexibility where it can go. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, we ran into some logistics getting you guys to to Nome for the finish. Weather mm-hmm. again, yeah. Weather again. So you were supposed to be here on Tuesday. Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. Right. And you didn't actually get here till Wednesday. Late Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon. Evening. Yeah. Right. So you didn't even make it yes. you know, for the finish. I was stuck in a checkpoint for three days in Koyuk. And the first couple days, that was fine. There was still action going on. But the last day was frustrating. I was playing cribbage and waiting for information right. on a flight. Right. You and, know? And, and that's the thing is, you know, we're flying in basically bush planes. Right. And if they're not uh, instrument flight rated. They're visual flight readings. So you can't fly when you can't see. Yeah. Right. And that's, that is the death of this production right if you can't move the crew you can't depend on a schedule right yeah. it's really frustrating and and i don't know that you got stuck too badly no because my my plans the whole time were to go out on a commercial flight that had ifr right so they were just it was a matter of getting it to right but White you, you were right you were also in places where they had ifr airport yes right, right. some yep. a lot of the checkpoints are not set up at all right. like they're just frozen strips on right. a lake on a river yeah. You know, on a field, it's right. not really an airport. Yeah, they weren't able to come back and get me with our VFR planes that day because it kept blowing in and blowing out, right. and the storms on the coast were really bizarre. Right. You know, and the other thing to think about is these fly packs that we've sent out are so so sensitive to the weather. The the things that we include in them. I mean, I had one power cable snap in the cold because we were. Oh, you did. I did. I we didn't were in. Know that. Yeah, we were in Cripple. And uh, it was, I think, minus 30 that night. And I was going, you know, you're you're dealing with cold and sleep deprivation. And I'm trying to plug the light in. And I'm gripping the extension cord. And the power cable just snapped right at the plug. So luckily, I had another one with an airport that I had. I was able to plug that into the power module and, and make it. So you've got to travel with all these extra things just in case. Do. Yeah. And, do. and the one thing that we got, we picked up locally before we sent you guys out was this... Uh, Polar, it wasn't technically polar wire. That's a brand name, but it's basically um, extension cords, right. hundred foot extension cords that are super flexible. Right. And so when you are out in the cold, I mean, most people don't think of it, but when it's thirty below, things Those break are... very easily. And even if it didn't break, the cords that we used to have yeah. were like pieces of wood. <laughs> they you were stiff. You couldn't coil them, and yeah. you know, you think about okay, you guys might only get an hour's heads up to get on a plane and head up the and pack trail. up. Yeah. So if you can't coil the hundred foot extension cord, right. it now becomes a little bit of a logistics issue. Right. And so. we actually had that 300 foot piece of ethernet and that got a kink in it and wouldn't pass signal. So yeah. in cripple, luckily GCI Bob was there and he had all of his tools and he was able to crimp a new right. section of it. He felt it out. I think it's 200 feet now. Right. <laughs> it's right. And I actually had to send you up a 300 foot reel up the trail right. on um, the, on the, what they call the, I did around air force, which is like the, the private pilots using their own planes to move people and, and cargo up and down. And I was able to bring the reel to them and they got it up the trail to you in probably a day, which is kind of yeah. like their version of FedEx. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The pony express. The pony express. <laughs> so just to get back to the finish. So we didn't get, Tom with the camera to 
GNOME in time. So I didn't actually have that wireless camera. Right. And from a production standpoint, the the blocking was really off. You know, we didn't we didn't we needed a floor manager really in the what they call in the, the shoot. shoot. The finish line is this just track of snow that's built up to the burled arch. You know, so it's it's like a very small production. It's a media frenzy at that it, it line. Is. And I yeah. just I couldn't get where I had the robos and where they were doing things, even though we talked about doing them other places where the cameras were it just was a right s show <laughs> and it just was frantic and we didn't really so i wasn't i wasn't really proud of the way that that show went off it, we just had problems and it wasn't planned out as well as i would have hoped for but the other little wrinkle that we had this year <clears throat> excuse me the other little wrinkle that i had this year with technology was i was trying to use the GoPros, we have two GoPros on the arch. Right. And that's usually the cameras that cover all of the mushers coming in 24-7. Right. That's just for the live stream. We still have cameras that are in the shoot getting the ENG style coverage of all the mushers. But the GoPros are something that I, you know, sort of <laughs> created a few years ago. And they've worked well. In the past, we've just wired them, HDMI out of the cameras into a box that sits on the arch it's got HDMI to SDI converters, and then we would run an SDI snake All 300 feet back to our city hall control room. Right. And then, but that wire would have to be flown over the street on the guide wire. Right. And it required a bit of logistical help. And then, when you wanted to break down, you had to wait for the bucket truck from the city to come, and that could take hours or sometimes or days. days. Right. So that wasn't the best way and i've tried so many things over the years i've tried using teradek bolts you know it's it's about 200 feet straight shot and i had a bolt 300 right on the arch but there's a big metal plate that holds the arch and i think that has some effect on and i the, think even people in the area too with all could, of their wireless it just wasn't it, it never worked it right. wasn't steady it wasn't stable it wasn't consistent so Right. This earlier this year, you and I tested something on a job that I helped you on, yep. and we used a GoPro Seven with the wireless streaming, and a piece of software called RTMP Mini Server, and that software lets the GoPro stream to a computer, and then it outputs those streams as NDI, which I can then put into my wirecast for your system. Right. Hey, Chaz, don't mind <clears throat> us, okay? <laughs> Um, somebody's so, working here, right? Some, someone's working. So, <laughs> so that little piece of software was great and it worked in an inside in a hangar sure. in an airplane. We had really good use over the Wi-Fi. two live GoPros inside of right. a plane fuselage. Yeah, it was pretty so, cool. And I had tested that out even more in my yard as I was doing setup for the Iditarod. But when we got here and I put the cameras up and I had a mesh network, I used mm -hmm. these, uh, ubiquity, uh, they call them AC Pro Max antennas. So I had one wired antenna yeah. that was the generator of the hotspot. And then I had another mesh point at the arch. So there was plenty of signal. Right. Plenty of signal there. And it was, you know, a decent speed. But the GoPros, they would stop streaming. I don't know why. They didn't do it in my testing. And it certainly didn't do it right. in your job. But they would stop. And it would be random durations wasn't like consistently two hours that was a problem i had with them early on okay and i 
thought ah, they're no good. And then they updated the firmware and then it seemed like they fixed that. Okay. So I don't know why, but that was a fail. Right. That was you can't rely fail. on it. That's a fail. Yeah. And that caused some problems because now, even now as we're wrapping out a few days early, mm -hmm. the challenge is for the fans. They want to see the last musher finish and their team and yeah. their team. So our sort of, our backup plan was that we're, we're leaving one uh, small P2 camera right. on a tripod at the arch, plugged into an older Teradek video encoder, plugged directly into the Ethernet line from the uh, DSL modem. Okay. So it's bypassing all of the normal stuff that we have. It's just being fed straight to WoW, straight, to, your straight server. to the website. Wow. And unfortunately, <laughs> it's going to be unmanned for the next two or three days uh the coo mr chad st george is gonna uh have to babysit that and pack it up and it's not a situation that i think any of us were prepared to do or want to do we don't want to leave the job but you know given the circumstances yeah. that's what it is but right. as we're you know packing everything up and boarding to the plane let's let's just talk about the the event from an emotional standpoint um, how is it? I mean, I, as Christian, especially this is your first right, yeah. go round. So first. Like, give us some of your little stories, the highs, the lows, and then yeah, between the highs, the lows and the betweens. So I definitely <laughs> got cut short on the amount of checkpoints, not due to the circumstances, but due to the weather, believe it or not. Right. Um, so yeah, my first day after the restart, I flew out to McGrath, which is, you know, about six or seven checkpoints in. Um, and it was great. Um, I got there. I got to see the town. They have you know a population of 250, I believe. Um, and that's a commercial flight. Yeah, that so was commercial. They actually have an airport. It's a, I think it's an ex-military right. base. Field. Yeah, um, it can take 737s. Yeah. I actually got to see one leave, which was pretty cool. But ah. uh, first two days there, I got to experience the real cold. It was minus 30, minus 29 the second day. Um, it was, you know, we had the live stream. I got to see the front of the pack come in. You know, sleeping on the floor, all of the good stuff. Um, picked up, went about 30 miles up the trail to Katna, um, where it started to warm up the second half of the, you know, right. the trail. And um, that was good because I kind of just took over Tom's position, I believe. We all kind of leapfrogged each yeah, other, you know. One so big we game all, of leapfrog. Yeah. All and the way up. And then from there, the plan was for me to head more up the trail and again take over Tom's position in Ruby. But I think like 200 feet into our ascent in one of these little you know, Cessna 185s, uh, we got a call for me to head further down the trail to the coast, actually, to Uniclete because of weather. And uh, so I kind of had like a day or two of downtime out there. You did. Yeah. And I, I recommended that you go to a pizza place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Straight from the flight to, to Peace on Earth, it's called yes, Uniclete. P-E-A-C-E. -E. Yeah. And, Peace um, on Earth. Pizza, once you get off the... I mean, I guess Uniclete is still kind of considered the bush. I mean, they have a larger population than yeah. most of the other yeah. villages it's we went to. It's a city, to. but it's a, it's a it's you know not a big city, but for Alaska, it's a city. Yeah, I think there. I think someone, one of the locals, told me there was seven hundred and fifty people in Uniclete. Right, and that's kind of where the Yukon meets the Bering, right? Yes. That's yeah. sort of the on the coast, just yeah, to give you a, a picture. It's a fishing, it's a fishing right. hub, and yeah. a lot of commercial, you know. Yeah, there's a, a lot there. of a lot of you saw a lot of um, Raven Air, Bar uh, Alaska Air Transit yeah, going there, out there. There's a real airport there, and, mm -hmm. and all that right. stuff. And once you've been on the trail, that's the best pizza you've ever tasted. Yeah, it is really true. <laughs> yeah, really I, true. I, I ordered you know a small pie 
and I thought I was going to take half back to the checkpoint, but I didn't even. So <laughs> what what was what was the best thing that you experienced? Anything? Oh, so looping back to those the Norwegian broadcasts that we had to do. So one night we were um, you know 11 p.m. start, and you know I expected an hour or two, given to what I heard <laughs> earlier. We wrapped at um, 2:26 a.m. local time, so it was about just shy of three and a half hour yes. stream. And like Tom said, you know, I'm, I'm doing circles in the snow, try to keep my feet warm. And I had my snow yeah. boots on. And the worst part is it was only 22 above. And it's, you know, 22 above only, you think. But, you know, that's kind of warm considering. That's very warm. But yeah. when you're standing still, yeah. you know, if you're not generating your own heat, that's it's tough to maintain. It seeps through everything. It yeah. gets you. It does. And it was a cold. It was a wet cold. Yeah. And uh, about, you know, 1 a.m. I was still doing little circles in the snow while they were, <laughs> while they were on air. And I and I looked back and I see the northern lights, and that was yeah. That's a great yeah. That's a great experience. I've only out of the fourteen years I've only seen them, I think twice. Really, in wow. fourteen years because yeah. you don't see them everywhere. Right. If obviously if you're not up, you don't see them exactly. So. At first they were kind of faint because I did check the activity on there's like a website for it with, from the government, and I checked the activity levels and it was said low, but you know in passing they look like clouds if they're not moving there wasn't a lot of movement so they look glowing, kind of like clouds glowing that are clouds. glowing so yeah. i didn't real. i thought there was just like a light from the ground but then i realized that there was no lights on and then the green really started to pop around 2 a.m yeah and i was like wow you know all right what about the low light like what do you mean like the where what was the worst part of the experience for you I think because it's my rookie year, there was no worst. I don't know. I think I I, the, I caught a little bit of a stomach bug for some food on the trail on my last checkpoint, but which is nice because, you know, I didn't really feel it until I got to know him when we were in a, a hotel. So Use that word lightly. Yeah. Motel. <laughs> hotel, motel. But, yeah, I don't – I had such a good time. It was – you know, I, I think actually – you know what the worst thing was? is kind of feeling the, the outside world kind of penetrated, as someone said, into this race because of the circumstances going on. And I was kind of hoping to be detached and right. know, isolated out here. But given what's going on, it was kind of hard. So I feel good point. like my good experience, point. my rookie year experience here was a bit tainted, Right. you know, by this hovering cloud. But would you would you consider it for a go again next year? Hands down. Hands down. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. OK. Tom, what's your highlight and low light? Highlight for me, I think, was anytime I can get out into the like the bush and really, you know, be away from everything. So last year it was the Iditarod checkpoint, the ghost town and the river and being very remote. This year it was the cripple checkpoint. I was hoping I'd get back there again. Unfortunately, I didn't see the northern lights, but it's a very remote checkpoint. We sleep in uh, our Arctic tents with Arctic ovens. And, you know, I was in my sleeping bag. It was 20 degrees inside the tent and cold. And you just feel like you're totally removed from everything. And then to still make it all work with a generator and the dish. And that was one of the checkpoints we had an hour plus live hit at 11 o'clock at night. And it was just really cool to be to be out there and see everything work where there's not a human soul for, you know, 500 square miles. So that, for me, that was a highlight right there. Running a uh, ethernet and power cable over a street in Ruby for 300 feet and attaching it on a telephone pole without OSHA looking at me. You know, <laughs> that was, that was cool. Yeah, making it work. Was, that was a good win. Yeah. <laughs> making it work. And uh, I guess, you know, I, I didn't really have any low points. If anything, it was just being stuck by weather, you know, for three, three nights in Koyuk was wonderful, but just not being able to be at the front of the pack and doing our plan yeah. uh, was frustrating. Yeah. That was the only low point. And for you? Yeah. So 
I had, um, I guess I didn't really have any highlights. I, I felt like everything was just, you know, mediocre for me. I, I, my expectations were a little higher for what I was doing. Sure. Equipment wise and, and, and delivering, you know, a good product for the fans that pay for this. I mean, I just felt like I didn't push it far enough for them this year. There were a, lot, a few lowlights. Uh, you know, I talked about some of the technology issues, and there was some personnel issues with some of the, the local hires that I wasn't thrilled with. And, um, you know, plus I had the, you know, I guess misfortune of being connected to everything. Right. So not only was I, you know, I was getting bombarded with the Norwegian broadcaster and their demands, but then I was also aware of everything going on in the normal world, right? Because normally the Iditarod is completely immersive for us, but right. I was obviously talking to my family and people are emailing me. And so I was aware of things that maybe you guys, because you didn't always have time to focus on it. Like I was, you know, a little, right. a little concerned certainly. And, and at one point we did have uh, a scare of, um, the coronavirus on the trail with one of the Norwegian uh, on-air talents, and I thought, shit, a lot of us have had some interaction there. Oh yeah. And for a couple of days, I was actually really concerned. Luckily, I was too when I heard because I was yes, with that crew. Yes, you were. Yeah, luckily, sleeping quarters. Luckily, knock on wood, yeah. they tested negative. Yeah. But I think um, I, I would say I'm definitely glad that we're getting out. Yeah. I'm not happy that right. we're. We're leaving early and not finishing the job, but given the circumstances, I'm happy to be right getting home. Yeah. The fingers of the real world really did sort of encroach on the event, and that they was did. a downer. They did. So I guess that'll be a wrap on this week in production. Gentlemen, yeah. nice working with you on this job. Yeah, you it's as well. Shared, it's a shared experience. I hope it was a good one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time. Sounds yeah. good. Do you have something to say? Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.